Hi, I'm Keith Law. Welcome to this week's episode of The Keith Law Show. I'll be joined in a little bit by Megan Montemoreau, who covers the Phillies for us here at The Athletic. First, I just want to thank all of you who've purchased my book, The Inside Game, which came out on April 21st. I've been absolutely overwhelmed by the response uh, from those of you who've read it, tweeted about it, posted it elsewhere on social media. It seems like a lot of you are really enjoying it. Gotten some very nice notes from folks within the baseball industry who've read it. And uh, I have to say, it's particularly gratifying because it's one of the, the two audiences I sort of worried about the most were folks within baseball and then folks within the academic communities where I'm also touching on behavioral economics, cognitive psychology. And the feedback from both groups so far has been really positive, and I, and I appreciate all of that. I have uh, been out promoting the book. When I say out, I don't actually leave the house. I do it all from here. But a lot of podcast work, including uh, I was just most recently on uh, the Inquiring Minds podcast, which was really fun because obviously they're coming from a more science-oriented perspective. I was on the Wharton Moneyball podcast. I joined the good guys over at Sox Machine, talked a little bit about White Sox prospects, of course. And Jeremy Schapp, my former colleague over at ESPN, had me on the Sporting Life podcast uh, to talk a little bit about the book as well. So there's been a lot of that out there. I also... Uh, got a, the book, got a starred review in Publishers Weekly, uh, glowing right up in the main edge. Library Journal highly recommended it. Those two of those are, are sort of trade publications that uh, are really important within the book industry. So again, just re- I'm, I really appreciate everyone who's come forward to say that they got the book, liked the book. Um, really appreciate it. Look forward at some point when we reopen the country to potentially getting out there and signing these copies, meeting a lot of you in person. So thank you all so much. If you haven't bought it yet, uh, you can best place to get it, I think, is bookshop.org. Helps support independent bookstores. They've already raised well over a million dollars to help indie stores try to survive the shutdown. They do try to source a lot of their books from independent stores uh, or handle a lot of the distribution for them. So it's bookshop.org and you just search for Keith Law on there and you'll find both my books both the inside game and smart baseball. So thank you all for all of that. Now it's my pleasure to be joined by my friend, Megan Montemoro, who covers the Phillies for us at the athletic. Megan had a piece up just the other day uh, on how NBC sports Philadelphia is handling sports coverage without actual sports. She's also, I believe running the Phillies in our athletic out of the park uh, season simulation. I will absolutely grill her about that as well. First of all, Megan, thanks for joining me. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. How have you been? I've been fine, actually. Can't complain too much. Now the weather, you're, what are you, 25 miles from me? The weather here has actually been decent for a few days. Yeah, it's been nice. It's really beautiful today. Yeah. Yeah, today is gorgeous. I mowed yesterday, which means today I get to go outside without work, like without actually having to, I don't mind mowing. Actually, I usually put on um, the Gerson and Leach movie podcast. I joke that their average podcast length is equal to the size of my lawn. So it works out very well. (laughs) That's perfect then. Right? That's what I say. I keep telling him, you can't get too much longer or shorter. You'll mess up my whole schedule here. I got a whole system here built around your podcast. They look at me very funny when I tell them that. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, so let's start just with that piece you wrote the other day about NBC Sports Philadelphia because I thought it was really interesting, particularly, and you mentioned to me off air too, you get a lot of questions about the choices of replay games that they're showing on their network. Right. Yeah. So I thought it was kind of interesting because – you know, as all of us in the sports business are trying to navigate, you know, especially the work part of life without sports, um, obviously a big part of that is the TV component, which is responsible for airing the games locally. 
And so, um, you know, NBC Sports Philadelphia has been trying to fill about five hours a day that would normally be dedicated to pre and post game shows and games um, with other content and and uh, coverage techniques. So they've been doing some uh, simulated games where they've had announcers call, say, a Phillies Giants game on MLB The Show. Um, but one thing they've been doing has been airing uh, previous Phillies games. And a lot of them have been within probably the last five years or so. Um, like they've had a theme week where they were airing Aaron Nola games from this win streak he had. And um, so it's it's been primarily the last few years. And a lot of people in my Twitter mentions and just on social media in general, I've seen were wondering why, you know, they're not airing a Steve Carlton start or something from the 93 Phillies or the 1980 World Series run. And so in talking to um, the network president of um, the, the Philadelphia location, um, yeah, it's not that easy. Uh, you have to work with the team. You have to get special permission from the league. And you have to really kind of go through a process of negotiating kind of and talking to teams about what they would be willing to open up from their library. Um, Because basically they didn't want to just create a free for all where you could air whatever you wanted of any games. And so that has kind of limited the scope of what uh, NBC sports Philadelphia could do. Um, And so yeah, for example, they looked into airing the 1980 World Series games, but some of the broadcasts weren't up to quote-unquote air quality um, uh, for today or had uh, degenerated. Uh, there were also some older games um, that the network wanted to air Phillies games, but the organization's only copies were of the other team's broadcasts, which you know wouldn't really make sense on a local perspective. So it's kind of interesting you know, to kind of get a look behind the scenes of what goes into the process and the decision-making behind these uh, moves. So let's talk about some current Philly stuff. Uh, first of all, Alec Baum, Philly's one of the two. Actually, why, why don't we talk about Alec Baum and Spencer, however, particularly Baum. What kind of – those are the two Phillies prospects who are on my top 100 this year, and they're both ready or really close to ready for the majors, in my opinion at least. So what do you do you agree on Baum and do you think there's a way that he gets significant playing time in the majors this year, assuming we get whatever sixty to eighty games worth of a season? I mean, I think that's one of the more fascinating questions facing the Phillies, uh, depending on what this new version of the season looks like, how many games they play. The plan had always been, um, at the very least, that Spencer Howard was gonna be called up and help the team at some point. Now, it wasn't expected he would start out in in the big leagues to start the year. They were going to really manage his innings. Uh, And so the plan would have been that, you know, he would either have stayed down and extended or started the year at AAA. Obviously, you know, maybe that gets thrown out the window now. And when you look at Alec Bohm, you know, if they add a universal DH, which sounds like that could very much be in play, um you know, that has to be an appealing option if you're the Phillies. I mean, you know, this team is built to win now. You look at the rest of the division, or even if it's reconfigured, they should still be one of the better teams of, you know, whoever they're playing in in their division. And so, you know, even though, you know, Bohm doesn't have that AAA experience that you might want to have before calling him up, uh, you know, his, his offensive profile and his skills, which you can – 
uh, you know, obviously speak more to, you know, should convert pretty well to the major leagues. And so I, I think it definitely should be in play. I mean, you know, I would not be surprised if you start hearing, you know, from the team perspective that they don't want him to make that jump without, you know, getting a certain number of AAA at bats. But I think it certainly has to be on the table if, you know, this becomes a very different looking season in terms of both games played, uh, whether there's even a minor league season on top of, you know, if a, if a DH is implemented for National League teams. Yeah, it's the, to me, that's the most interesting variable for Bob and the Phillies specifically, and I think in general for probably, I don't know, maybe eight to 10 teams in the NL where it could just... Does that push Dylan Carlson on the Cardinals right to the big leagues, even though he's not a DH, but just opens up a spot, right? I think that's the thing for Baum. It's not that anyone's was saying it's like he has no position. He's not great at third, but I also think he's playable there. Um, but the idea was, well, he'd be blocked at anywhere else you could potentially move him to. Now, if you have a DH, maybe you move him to first and Hoskins to DH. Maybe you put, maybe you just put Baum at DH because you don't want to mess with. What with any player's current positions, it just gives you another opportunity to get his bat into the lineup. And I, I would guess, you probably know this better than I do, but my sense was that the Phillies thought Bomb would be in their lineup in the second half of a full season. So do you just treat it the same way and say, well, this is, this, we just didn't have a first half, but by time, at least, we thought this guy would be ready. Yeah, I mean, they didn't come out with the same sort of... Um guarantee I guess necessarily that you know he'd be a contributor at some point but yeah I definitely think they're they envision a scenario where you know maybe come July this is a guy you add to the lineup um and you know I'm sure as as everyone knows injuries and performance dictates things as well at the big league level and so you know maybe his arrival would have been expedited if if guys weren't playing well or there was an injury to a spot where maybe you could slot him in or move the infield around but if you're the Phillies, I mean, again, you, there are no guarantees right now. You know, a guy like JT Real Muto is set to be a free agent come this winter. And so you need to win with this core that you have. And, you know, if you start this uh, revamped season with Spencer Howard and Alec Bohm on your big league team, I mean, I, I think they become a much, much stronger and deeper team with those two guys starting the year on, on the roster. Yeah, so and we'll get to Real Moto in just a second because I know you have thoughts on him and how they might handle his contract status. To me, Spencer Howard, if I were making the decisions for the Phillies, I'm going to put this out there and you agree or disagree. Tell me you think I'm cracked on this. But I think Spencer Howard has a, a better case actually to be on the big league club right now than Bomb does because I think he's he's a better rotation option than Nick Pavetta anyway, or than like Vince Velasquez, the other candidates there. And that I don't think you're waiting for a whole lot with Howard. I saw Howard at the very end of last year and twice. Uh, his last regular season start for Reading, he pitched great in the, their playoffs and then pitched a little in fall league. And every year he looked great. I, I don't think you're waiting on anything specifically with him. He's clearly better than the other options. And I feel like he's affected less by not going to triple a whereas with bomb there is some argument you mentioned just mentioned the phillies seem to want him to get reps at triple a that may not be possible but i do think you could argue well bomb hasn't faced upper level pitching howard's stuff is just there it's ready and it's going to be stuff like feel and command and setting up hitters that he probably could learn on the fly in the big leagues and 
I think his even his short term upside is much better than the other possible candidates they'd have. They're just a better team, I think, with him as their fifth starter. Yeah, I, I would agree with that too, especially because when you look at the fifth starter competition and where it stood when camp abruptly ended, I mean, you know, it was it was among Nick Pavetta, Vince Velasquez, and Ranger Suarez was considered to be part of that, and none of them had separated themselves and really taken hold of that competition and really showed in in spring that hey, like you know, this fifth spot is mine, and so. Knowing that, I mean, yeah, it's not like you have to defend adding him over a guy who had a great spring. I mean, again, <laughs> nobody separated themselves. And so, yeah, I think I think there's ways you can manipulate and watch his innings over the course of a season. You know, maybe you give him a two-week break at the mid- midway point, um, you know, put him in the bullpen, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and you know, slot a guy in and, and give some spot starts to to some of the depth they have at that uh, in terms of you know AAA or four A type arms they have that they can slot into the rotation. But I totally agree they they become a better rotation with Spencer Howard in it. And I think if they're serious about you know making the playoffs for the first time since 2011, that in a what is going to be probably a wacky season that you need to explore all possibilities. And if, say, they only are going to be playing 100 games this year, you know, you need to optimize those 100 games because if you get off to a bad stretch, you do not have the opportunity uh, to make up that over the course of a longer season. So it'll definitely be interesting and it'll be a worthwhile debate. And it certainly could determine how (laughs) the Phillies season goes. So you mentioned Real Moto's contract status. He's a free agent. His free agency is coming up. He's one of their absolute best players. Even with his age, I think he's likely to see really significant interest in the free agent market. Do you have any sense of what the Phillies are planning to do other than obviously I'm sure they'd like to keep him, but I think there's a chance they try to do an extension with him, especially when there's probably not a lot of time to negotiate one. Yeah, I mean, general manager Matt Klintak has made clear really since – the last season ended that one of their top priorities was going to be signing Real Muto to an extension. And that kind of got put on hold a little bit because both sides, and I think really a lot of that was in part Real Muto's camp, wanted to focus on the arbitration process once it was determined that, you know, JT was going to go and try and set a new higher standard for catchers. Um, and so that kind of put everything on pause. And then, you know, by the time things started kind of to ramp up again, then you had spring tra- training canceled, all transactions were put on hold, negotiations had to stop. So it, it's definitely going to be an interesting situation to see how it plays out. I mean, from, you know, Real Muto's perspective, you every day uh, the calendar passes is another day you get closer to free agency, regardless of whether there is a season or not. So that is certainly appealing if you, if you're him Um, at the same time, you know, you are potentially uh, saving yourself from any loss you may have from any serious injuries or a poor season um, by signing something uh, sooner than later with the Phillies. And the big thing is how they view him. Uh, it kind of goes back to the arbitration process in that Real Muto and, and his camp's perspective was that he was one of the be- he is one of the best players 
in baseball, period, regardless of position. Whereas the Phillies were arguing the perspective of he's one of the best catchers in baseball, and that affects his value. And so um, ultimately the Phillies won that argument, even though, you know, JT still set a record with his his, uh, earnings for this year. But that is going to be a hurdle that they're really going to have to find a way to bridge. Um, And I think one other component that, I don't think you can completely dismiss is what is the free agent market, even for top guys like real Muto going to be in the off season. If there are no fans at these games and, you know, maybe teams aren't making the, the sorts of revenue and money that they expected to, you know, is that going to prohibit teams spending even on the top guys in the off season? So there are a lot of factors at play here. I think ultimately something will get done because I think both sides are motivated to get something done and you can't dismiss the John Middleton factor um, when it comes to ownership and his, his desire to get something done. So let's talk a little bit about your experience as GM of the uh, out of the park Phillies. First of all, why does the software seem to hate Reese Hoskins so much? Uh, I was wondering the same thing because <laughs> I've been writing uh, about how the season's going and I'll have people tweet at me or write in the comments that uh, every iteration of it apparently hates Reese because he's apparently doing terrible in anybody's league. Uh, I think he's barely hitting 200 right now and we're almost at June in the schedule. Um, it's fun. It's a, it's a fun challenge. Right now we're in the process of going through uh, the draft, um, which has been interesting and um, the Phillies are about two games over 500 at the moment. Not great. Um, but I think one of the fun things was I collaborated with the with our, our uh, Orioles writer, Dan Connolly, to pull off a, a mega trade in that I sent Nick Pavetta to the Orioles um, for a combination that included two prospects, Michael Givens and Chris Davis. Um so it was interesting working through with like another human, each of us trying to accomplish our own goals within the trade. Whereas like, you know, I was trying to get a lot of the money paid down on the Chris Davis deal while also getting a good balance of prospects. He wanted as little money as possible to take on of that deal. Um, and so it was really interesting working back and forth and negotiating with like another real person rather than, you know, a fictional computer where you're, you know, proposing something and they either accept or deny it. Right. Right. Um, that's one of the things I love is in, I've played that I've played OTP a bunch a long time ago and basically made myself stop in previous games <laughs> that were sort of along the same lines. And it's some of the frustration, right? You like making trades. And the software I always found was fine at it, but it's sort of frustrating. There's no back and forth or understanding, well, why didn't you want that trade? What else can I do? So um, the, uh, and you mentioned particularly the, uh, the Chris Davis trade. You'd asked me about uh, what I thought of the, the, concept of the trade and especially the uh the pieces other pieces you were picking up you added a prospect am i remembering correctly you added drew rom in the deal yeah i got right, drew rom and yep. uh cory sedlock yes yeah, so if healthy you got two relievers i think actually sedlock was a first former first rounder and they just he got blown out a bit at the university of illinois and the story i heard is buck showalter got a look at him in spring training said this guy's pretty good and started trying to work him harder and then uh and then the kid 
tried to do too much when he was probably already sore at that point, ended up getting hurt. I saw him last year, though, and it seemed like at least in a relief role, he'd gotten back, gotten back enough of his stuff that you could project a major league future for him. Um, so where else do you think you still have spots to improve on that Phillies roster? Especially what would you do if you were Matt Clintock? Right. Well, and that's like the one tricky thing with the Phillies roster that I was kind of, which I was aware of, but you're more aware of it when you're trying to like look for ways to improve it is mm-hmm. they don't really have a lot of areas where you can really try to make a, like a notable improvement because you look at, especially on the offensive side, you look around, you know, you have real Muto locked in, you have Reese Hoskins, you have DD Gregorius, Gene Segura, who's basically untradeable. Um, you know, Andrew McCutcheon, Scott Kingery, Bryce Harper. So like you are very limited in where you could potentially improve the roster. So one of the uh, ownership goals I was given at the beginning of the season was to upgrade center field, which right now has been a kind of a platoon between Adam Hazley and Roman Quinn. And so I'm, I'm trying to see if I can find a way to upgrade something in that area, maybe use Vince Velasquez as leverage since I just called up Spencer Howard in the game. So he's in the bullpen now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one area I was looking for. One of the other tasks I was given was to acquire a Cy Young award winner. No big deal. <laughs> Unless you try and like game the system and be like, Hey, I'm going to acquire Felix Fernandez and hopefully that qualifies. Oh um, yeah. No, that should not qualify. Right, exactly. So I think Centerfield might be a spot because the offense has not been doing well. Um, this is a team that hits for power, and that's about it. <laughs> that's about it. So I'm going to see if there's a way that maybe I can move away from a platoon in Centerfield and either you know leverage Hazley for a better center fielder, or maybe pair him with you know a guy like Vince Velasquez, or you know maybe I can convince somebody that Roman Quinn can play every day in center field and you should take him and give me someone a little more reliable <laughs> if I give you Vince Velasquez with him. So that's the mm-hmm. next thing I'm trying to conquer is, is maybe uh, improve center field. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, not easy. Just go pick up one of those Cy Young award winners. They, they grow on trees, right? Teams just right, give them super away. easy. Yeah. Yeah, super easy. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Megan Montemoro is my guest. She covers the Phillies for us at The Athletic. Her most recent piece looks at NBC Sports Philadelphia and what they're trying to do to keep covering sports when there are no sports to cover. I recommend you follow her also on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle again? I don't want to mess it up. It's M underscore Montemiro, M-O-N-T-E-M-U-R-R-O. I knew there was an underscore in there, but I was like second guessing, third guessing myself there. Anyway, Megan, stay safe. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me, Keith. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel any time. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com law for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com law for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. I put out a call for a few mailbag questions today on Twitter, so I'll just take a couple real quick uh, just to try to uh, get to, since I haven't been doing as many chats or periscopes, try to get to a few of those questions. 
Uh, Squeak Crow at shortstoppin underscore says, you mentioned in your write-up of Andre Jackson, he's a Dodgers pitching prospect, that he has, quote, everything you'd want except the things that come with experience, end quote. Do you mind elaborating on what comes with experience? No, not at all. Actually, I think it's a perfectly uh, fair question to ask. I am referring to the things that pitchers are expected to improve upon the more they pitch. Uh, he is uh, Jackson's a converted player also, so he really doesn't have much pitching experience. So it is things as simple as just learning to repeat his delivery and improve his body control through his delivery to developing both control and command, which I think come from learning to repeat your delivery, to what we often refer to as feel for pitching, such as the ability to think through an entire at-bat, how to set up a hitter, which pitches to throw in certain counts, how to approach a hitter multiple times in one game, how to work with a catcher on calling a game and coming up with a game plan. Not everybody can learn that with experience, but I think it's very hard for guys to learn that without experience. You're not really born a pitcher in that sense. I think even the great pitchers would tell you they probably credit other people, coaches, catchers, or other pitchers they learned from to become that kind of pitcher. Will at SpaceX Home Run says, give me the scoop on Zach Veen. Where do you think he gets picked? Zach Veen is a high school outfielder from Spruce Creek High School in the East Coast of Florida. I think he's the first high school position player taken in the draft. I think he goes somewhere towards the back of the top 10, somewhere between picks, let's say, 7 and maybe as far as 11 or so. I don't think he gets much further than that. There are other position players who could go in that territory, but I have have made this prediction elsewhere too. I think in the top 10 picks, you'll see eight college players and no high school pitchers taken. I just think teams are going to, it's a good college draft anyway, and teams are going to veer for the safety of college players. Kevin arts arts underscore lab says, what is the airspeed velocity of a European swallow? It's about 24 miles an hour. Uh, favorite three books I have read while quarantined. Uh, actually by now we should have the Pulitzer prize winners. I forgot to check because I was recording my podcast. I'm actually going to look that up, but I will say, um, I think the favorite book of mine that I read during the quarantine was Feast Your Eyes by Myra Goldberg, which was just such an unexpected. Um, it's got a, kind of a quirky format. It was such an unexpected, successful, enjoyable read that covers so much ground um, in a fairly tight. She sort of boxed herself in with the format and really, really managed to make it succeed. So I thought it was pretty um, I thought it was really pretty powerful. Um Oh, and the Pulitzer Prize in Fiction this year went to Colson Whitehead for The Nickel Boys. That's a great book. I think I read that slightly before quarantine afterwards. Um, that is, got his second win in four years. He won for the Underground Railroad, too. The Nickel Boys, very, very powerful, dark, but appropriately dark novel. Uh, would also very, very highly recommend that. What else have I loved? Joe Walton's Lent was a really great read. I am about to start John Shea's biography of Willie Mays uh, after he just finished a uh, an Agatha Christie book over the weekend. I've mixed in some pleasure reading a little Agatha Christie, a little Nero Wolfe, a uh, little uh, Georges Simenon, uh, French detective writer, Inspector Maigret, or his uh, very short, very pithy, but still, I think, pretty compelling detective novels. I've been reading a bit more, maybe not as much as I would have expected to, but I've been trying to get after it just because I find it extremely relaxing, especially a good way to sort of turn the world off for a half hour or more whenever possible. As good as you think David Calabrese is, when does he come off the board? Best Canadian player in this draft class. I think he gets goes somewhere between 25 and 40 would be my guess. Um, the chance is a bit higher if Team Canada had done its annual touring of Florida and Arizona, but that all got canceled. So he, he just might have been under-scouted. Um, and that could end up hurting him, even though I think he's pretty clearly a first-round talent. 
last question. Luke Martin, Luke R. Martin at Twitter, settle an argument my family's had for years. In Ticket to Ride, are they pink or purple color cards? I say that they are purple color cards. If you don't know what we're talking about, Ticket to Ride is one of my top five all-time favorite games, one of my first recommendations to people who want to try a new board game, especially if you want to try something with kids, even kids as young as I would say six or seven can follow along. It's a train game with a lot of color matching, and there is some strategy involved, but kids can absolutely play it. And since we're all stuck indoors, it's a great game for anywhere from two to five players. A very easy recommendation for me. That is all for this week's episode of the Keith Law Show. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you again to all of you who've purchased the Inside Game uh, or gotten it from your libraries. That's fine, too. I appreciate all of it and uh, shared kind words about it. You can subscribe to this show, the Keith Law Show, on Apple, on Spotify, on Stitcher. If you happen to be listening on Apple and want to leave us a five-star review, we really appreciate it. It helps us uh, in a lot of different ways. And share the podcast with a friend uh, if you can. My next guest will be... John Shea, who I just mentioned, his biography of Willie Mays that's just called 24, uh, which I will actually be starting to read tonight in preparation for that. Do not read a lot of baseball books, but have to admit that because of my parents' age and the stories my they told me, especially my mom's, the bigger baseball fan, I think, of the two, uh, Willie Mays sort of has a legendary status in my mind. So very interested to read this book that Mays worked with Shea on it to read something like that. We've had so many books about DiMaggio and Mantle. I feel like Mays has been kind of less covered maybe in relative terms. So very much looking forward to that book. Thanks again for listening. Stay safe, everybody.